This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, welcome to the Literary Briefs episode of Drinking with Authors. I'm your host, Erica Lance. And this is Vanessa Valiente. And with us is Melinda Snodgast. Ah! Okay, there's a, there's a clap track. Clap track. Okay, um, let's talk about what we're drinking real quick, is, which is I have Cali Red, which I've drunk in, drunk it words, drunk, oh, okay, whatever, almost the entire bottle. I'm oh, fine. Erica. It's fine. <laughs> It's in my drinking with author's cup, though. Okay, Vanessa, it's words. Go for it. So I'm on my second round of uh, Crown and Coke. Can't go wrong. Very classic. You're doing much better than I am with my bottle of wine, not going to lie. Melinda, what are you drinking? Rombauer, Red Zinfandel, and, and I am a super cheap drunk, and I would just fall asleep if I had drunk. I'm still working on this first half of class. So I'm working on it. <laughs> That's okay. I can be used literally as a bad example in so many circumstances. It's fine. Okay. So this is our rapid fire literary briefs. We're all in our underwear. Just kidding. We're really not. Um, so uh, the first question is, what is your favorite book of all time? Lord of the Rings. I have to say the trilogy. Um, yeah. I mean, it's kind of one book. So Lord of the Rings. Oh, that is, why is it your favorite book? Uh, uh, one of my co-hosts, Jen, is literally going to lose her mind when she hears you say that. She's but Tolkien buff. Tolkien. Sure. She, she's a PhD in English literature that teaches Tolkien. So she's going to lose her mind when you say that. Why is it your favorite? Because it delves into loss in, in a really profound way. And, and, and the bittersweetness of victory. And that sometimes victories aren't actually victories for the people who accomplish them. I mean, when I was when I was a kid, I read these books first when I was 10 years old, and I just gobbled them. And I got to the end, and I thought all that scouring of the Shire stuff was really boring. And then when I read it at 40, I realized that that was the whole point of the books. They're beautiful. I, I love them. So, um, who, Who's your favorite character? I was about to ask that question. Who's your favorite character? Um, I... Probably, um, I mean, he is kind of Dudley Do-Right, but, but um, God, I'm sorry. I've just, my brain, <laughs> blame the wine. I'm going to blame the wine. My favorite character is Samwise. Yeah, because he's every man. And, and, you know, he's the one that, that holds it all together. I think, actually, I really do love um, Aragorn and Eowyn are the two, you know, because... Uh, also, I'm a horsewoman, so of course I love Aowen, you know, um, so, but I, I love those two. I mean, Sam, you know, I'm a little bit squicky about Sam as, uh, as, as we get into this era of Me Too and, you know, Time's Up and very, because he is sort of such a tug the forelock, yes, master sir, you know, I mean, there's a little bit of classic, classicism in it that is a little uncomfortable in this modern era. But he is truly every man, you know, the man, the, the, the small man who comes up out of his fields to shake the pillars of the world. And, and I just, I love that. And I love the fact that Frodo, Frodo is damaged. Frodo is not a man who comes back to the crowds and the hail fellow and, you know, confetti. And, you know, it's, it's, there's a sadness to it. There's a, 
you know, I, I just, you know, and the elves pass out of the, out of the world. I mean, that to me is one of the most heartbreaking things is that they leave, they leave and pass into the West and we lost that magic. So, yeah. And I, I love that you said that because it's, it's something that's a huge, like I love the Hunger Games series. I hate Katniss. I hate that character, but I love the Hunger Games. But I love the fact that the way she wrote that, these characters come out of this horrible thing, damage. And the same is true with Frodo. Like, you don't necessarily go through something like that. And when people are like, and everything is perfect, I'm like, no, everything is not perfect with characters like that. It's a horrible experience for these guys to go through. Yeah, it's basically coping with this trauma and just trying to make their lives, like, deal with it, but have a happy ending in their own way. And Yeah, uh, the Shire is damaged, and, I mean, things are, and the elves are gone. I mean, and so, you know, there's, I, I just, I love that bittersweet quality of it, so. Okay, so second question although there were many questions in between the first one. What is your least favorite book? Oh, God. That's a hard one because if I don't, if a book doesn't work for me within 50 pages, I don't finish it. So that was going to be another question because I know a lot of people who will just keep going. They will finish the whole book and I'm like, I'm done. I'm like, if it doesn't, yeah, Did you have yeah. any books you were required to read in school that you were like, why is this on the reading list? <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, I, I find I still cannot appreciate Moby Dick. I don't care. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, people say that this is their favorite book, and I'm like, I'm sorry. Why is that your favorite book? Yeah, no. <laughs> I love To Kill a Mockingbird. I would never have read that if I wasn't required to read it in school. I would have never picked it up. I love To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah, I mean, and, and boy, that was an author who had one perfect novel in her. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, how, how incredible is that? <laughs> no, totally. It's like, and yeah, and she typed it, which is amazing. People, I, I, I wonder where self-published authors would be today if they had to use a typewriter. <laughs> oh. So you talked already, you're a plotter, and you have a big corkboard that you plot on. Do you have a story graveyard of stories that you started that you're like, and I'm going to put you in here for now? Oh, yeah. Um, if, if I don't know how a story ends, if it doesn't have an ending, I chuck it. Um, because I always start plotting from the back, from backwards, you know, it's, and if I don't know the climax and the ending, that thing isn't going to work. That, that's Has anything reason. been like put to the side and resurrected later and actually finished? Yes. As a matter of fact, this, <laughs> Ooh. um, this started life. Um, I had written 70,000 words of a novel in this universe I had created. Mm -hmm. And I thought this is not working. And um, it's funny, George loved this universe. He wanted it to be another shared world and it didn't work out. We, we were never able to set it up and sell it. Um, and after we'd tried and failed, I came back to it and I suddenly went, I had the wrong characters. I had the wrong leads. And I rethought it 
and I knew how to do it. And so I got in touch with George and the other writers we'd invited. It was only going to be six of us in this particular shared world. And I came back and said, look, this was my idea. It was my universe. Can I have, you know, I'm going to go write it. And they all went, go with God, you know. And in fact, George gave me the villain. He gave me his, his my, my hero hates this character George created. And George said, here, you may have him and put him in the book. And now he's mad at me because I didn't make him clever and funny enough. And I'm like, he's a bad guy. I'm not telling him. Anyway, um, you know, he's, but uh, yeah. And that was a book that was a, and the Trump book is still sitting there and, you know, it didn't work. It was a bad book. But I found a way to come with new characters with a completely different approach. And I went, ah, now this works. And I've written, it, it's, when I do a series, it has an end. This is five books and it has a specific ending. And when I pitched it to my agent and then to a publisher, um, I could say, and book five ends here and that's how the series ends. So. Um, wow. I think that's awesome. Um, so when you, where do you get, like, do you feel like you get your most inspiration? I, I think some of it comes out of, of looking, I mean, science fiction is a commentary on the present, right? I mean, that's what we're doing. You know, we're talking about the world as we see it or, and don't like it or do like it. Um, I think it starts a little bit with, I would love to talk about this particular societal thing. And then when I get that idea, or sometimes I get a vision, I just, it's like a picture. Um, the Imperials books began because I had this sudden image of this 10 foot tall ant-like creature with giant mandibles and huge claws and, and they're cowering in terror in front of a human being, a little tiny human with a, you know, with a machine gun. And I thought, what if we're the evil invading aliens? <laughs> And that was the genesis of the universe, um, that we immediately go out into space and we find out there are other alien races and we immediately kick the shit out of them <laughs> because that's how we are. We're the meanest species in the universe. And uh, that's where it began. And, and that's something that happened you know, 500 years ago and now this is the result. This is the society that has grown out of that. Um, and so that's what I wanted to explore. But it started with that first image and um, and I have this fantasy idea. Please don't anybody take this because I love this idea. But, um, By the way, it's fully copyrighted on the Drinking with Authors podcast. So if you take it, you'll get drunk me coming at you with a Snoop Dogg bottle. So don't take it. <laughs> um, no, I, I suddenly thought, I mean, I love Star Wars so much. And I thought, okay, what if Darth Vader loses his memory? Or, or a Darth Vader-like figure is injured in an assassination attempt and he's picked up by a group of traveling musicians you know it's a, it's, a, it's an off-broadway traveling theater group and they're like they find this guy in the road you know and he's near death and they pick him up and you know they patch him up and he has no memory of who he is and they're actually and they're like so can you sing <laughs> you know and then he, <laughs> You know, and, and I thought this would be because I did all this theater, you know, I mean, I sang Guinevere and I sang, you know, blah, My Fair Lady and blah, blah, blah. And I just thought, how much fun would that be? And they oh. don't know who it is they have, you know, traveling around, moving the sets, learning how to, to tap dance, you know, no, oh. no, no, you know, and then things start to happen. Now, I don't have it worked out yet. Um, 
because I haven't had time, but I have these other things I'm writing, but I'm going to sit down at some point and go, what is the end of that series? You know, that sounds amazing. That sounds thoroughly amazing. I would love that. So, you know, I, that's the thing I kind of really want to write next after I finish these other two books. Do it. In the pipeline. Do it. <laughs> Drinking with authors encourages that. So let's talk a little bit about your fans. So um, what has it been like to be around your fans? I love them. I mean, I, I have the best, I mean, you know, I was sitting there actually earlier today on Twitter and going, you know, I've never had a troll, you know, I mean, how did that happen? Um, I've never had a troll come at me and I'm really political and I really despise Trump. So, um, you know, you would think that I would- You're, you're reaching to the choir on that one. Do not even- like company right here. Oh my God. <laughs> I, you know, I kept thinking, I've, I've got to have some evil maggot come at me at some point, and I haven't. And, um, and my fans- Oh, shucks. Just, yeah, <laughs> oh, shoot. Um, and my fans have just been great. And, and uh, I'm really active on Facebook. I, I know I shouldn't be. I know Facebook is evil, but it's kind of- it's like my blog feels like it's too much because then I have to write a blog for my, 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 my website. And that feels like work. And Twitter is kind of moronic, but at least you know what's going on. You can find out what's happening quickly. And Facebook feels like it's just right. <laughs> no, I, I mean, Facebook, all of these, all of the, if you watch, there's a, a Netflix show called, um, the social dilemma and it's terrifying you will never want to get on social media again after watching this right. but the fact of the matter is facebook is a way to communicate mark zuckerberg found a way to communicate that you can meet with groups of people and there is a lot of good that has come out of social media and stuff there's a lot of like they're learning everything about us ergo the ai will know everything soon which is fine because when the robot overlords show up I will be in a good place. Yeah, they will like me and cybernet and you know the the whole it's so funny. I showed somebody the the net the other day that movie and they're like, "Oh my god." Which was funny cuz at the time it came out nobody could fathom that could happen. And now you're like, "Oh, yeah, that happened to my friend Bob." Like So Yeah. Exactly, but I don't think Facebook is bad. I think you know Facebook used properly anything used for the evil that it could be used for is terrible but i think facebook is a good way i think you know it's given fans an opportunity to re to interact with their authors and people that they like in ways that never happened 20 years ago no exactly and 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 god i love them because like sometimes i'll have a question and you know if if research can't answer it I have such an interesting group of, of followers that I can go on Facebook and go, okay, guys, tell me about, you know, some weird genetic thing, you know, or as Connie Willis said to me once, she said, I can say, does anybody know anything about weaving in, in, in Flanders in 1300? And she said, there's going to be somebody who will pop up and say, why, yes, I wrote my dissertation on that. And then they're able to give. And that's one of the things I love is the fact that I can give and take with them. And, you know, it isn't just, you know, it, it isn't just me in a kind of influencer way, but it's actually a connection and it's actually a give and take. And, and, and they put up with me neeping about dressage um, periodically. Yes, I, I finally got him to really bring up that hind foot and, and step up and straighten, but wait for me to cue for the flying change. And they're all going, 
what is she on about now? <laughs> you know, what is she going on about? Um, but they're very tolerant. Um, and, and then I get to push opera on them. They go, yes, I'm listening to, you know, this thing today. And then they Do you go, sing anymore? I, I got, unfortunately, I got away from it. And it is a muscle. And I'm actually driving him crazy because I'm starting to do some vocalese again to try. But, <clears throat> you know, I, when I went to work on track, um, I worked so many hours a day, I never could find a voice teacher in, in uh, Los Angeles. And I just sort of, you know, fell away from it. And the horses have become sort of where I put my passion. I mean, I still sing, but I wouldn't want to sing public publicly right anymore. Not right now. Not until I see if I can get this tuned up. I feel like we could give her enough wine and we would have a different story happening. I'm just throwing that out there. We'll get together and do karaoke when we can finally all get together. I, I, I will be at Dragon Con with you and we will do Klingon karaoke together. Absolutely. I'm Melinda, I am literally putting this in my date book that next time you're at Dragon Con, we are doing Klingon karaoke together. You're going to be amazing. I'll just do backup like do up in the back because unless we're doing journey and then don't stop believing's coming out of my mouth that will happen. <laughs> well, except that i only do classical music so i don't know any broadway i don't know any of i'll do broadway with you we can do a chorus line let's make it happen i will totally the opera or rent or something <laughs> No, trust me. I'm I'm with you. I will bring a bottle of your favorite wine. We will make it happen. It'll be amazing. Have you ever had um what is your uh like weirdest fan experience? So Jonathan Mayberry had a French woman dress up as him and show up in front of him and he told me this yeah, he literally put the beard on and everything and showed up in his Hawaiian shirt and dressed as him and I was like this is and Jeff Strand. I don't know if you know Jeff Strand, but he's a horror author. But he had somebody, a fan, dresses him and go take pictures of all the places like he went to college and stuff. And he thought it was neat. And I'm like, Jeff, that's a stalker, my love. Like, that's a yeah. yeah, pay attention. Um, I I think you know I, I I've been very fortunate in my fans. Thank God I've never had anything that weird and creepy. No, I take that back. Okay. Woo, I need another drink. Um, okay, <laughs> go. I'm with you. Cheers. Cheers. No, I um, when I was on track, um, I did have a guy who started sending letters to the office and to my agent saying that I, all the scripts I was writing, whether it was Pen Pals or Measure of a Man or uh, instance of command, I mean, all the various high ground, anything I wrote, he said that I was stealing his ideas telepathically from his mind. Oh, this sounds amazing. And then he told, one of the letters was, now uh, you will meet me at this restaurant at this time, and we are going to do a script together. And I don't want to alarm you, but I am a trained killer. And so you better show up. <laughs> so, um, wow. That is literally something out of a movie. I love that. Okay, go ahead. What happened? So we, and, and my agent called me and he said, do you know who this guy's? Of course, they're immediately worried that I did steal the ideas. And I said, I have no idea. He's a nut. Okay, you know. 
So we gathered up all the letters and they gave them to Paramount Security, the head of Paramount Security, who's a retired uh, police, police guy, police chief actually, I think. And, um, and then I noticed there was, a, there was a windowless paneled van that started following me. <gasps> and I reported it again to Paramount. And he said, we have seen that van at every gate at Paramount. Um, and yeah, it was a little scary. <laughs> so, and wow. he did, I had, I, I, I had left the show. I was getting packed up. I had, uh, you know, my little house I was renting and I went back and I gathered stuff. I was going actually to stay at George's apartment that he kept in LA. He was back here in New Mexico and, and, you know, for the few days until I came home and I had let the lease go on this little house I was renting and I noticed the van. <laughs> parked just down the street. And so I grabbed the dogs and the cats and threw them in the car in my suitcase. And I was driving a pretty, I love, I love cars. Okay. My liberal cred falls right down because if I won the lottery, I would have seven cars. Okay. Um, so I had this really fast hot sports car and I basically ran a red light to, cause he was right behind me. And so I, went through the light and then the LA traffic and I got on the freeway and I lost him. Um, so that's the weirdest fan experience. I, I, I have no idea who this guy was. I never saw him. I never met him, but his letters were scary enough, you know? Um, you know, and that's, that's horrible because unfortunately there are very delusional people with mental issues, unfortunately. And I bet in his mind, he totally believed that was the case. I've taken the ideas telepathically from his mind. <laughs> you know, and, and that's, that's terribly unfortunate. But I, I'm glad to hear how amazing most of your fans so you do cons and stuff which i love which which means we're we're going to hang out at some point because as we soon are. as cons we are back on definitely. we are absolutely hanging out at some point so you're you're five one i'm six feet tall so if anything happens don't worry i will i will take anybody down like when you see me in person you're gonna be like wow she looks like a football player i really i'm literally six feet tall broad shoulders like anybody gets in your way it's gonna be done but um you know, I think it's really fun when you get to meet your fans in person and they come up and tell you the impact that your work had on their lives. Yeah. You know, you talked about the impact it had on your life, um, you know, Lord of the Rings and Star Wars and stuff. What have you heard from fans as far as the impact you've had on their lives? Other than obviously your telepathic abilities, which are amazing, <laughs> obviously. Amazing. Um, you know, I, I think what I've heard most is that a lot of the fans feel like my journey gives them hope that they can do this, that this is something they've always dreamed of doing, but you know, they, they, you know, they were reluctant or they thought there was a, you know, you had to have a secret pass and you had to, you know, and, and, you know, I always give everybody the, nobody has to give you permission lecture, you know, when I meet fans. Um, and so a lot of them, and, and I've had people tell me that measure of a man, I mean, I think, you know, I, I will die knowing that whatever else I do in my life, I wrote the measure of a man, you know, and that that has had a huge impact um, for a lot of people. And, you know, a lot of people have said that, you know, that has inspired them and my story of just taking the risk has inspired them. And that's what I like to hear. Um, you know, the pie doesn't get smaller, the pie gets bigger. And that, that generosity. So, you know, I think that's, 
Um, oh, I did have um, um, another series that's not available yet, but we're working on getting it back out in print is um, my Carolingian series. And my, my main character is, um, is, is, is a gay man. Uh, he's sort of bisexual, but mostly he's gay. And I did have a young gay, um, a gay reader in Brazil write me the lovely email just saying, you know, that how much it meant to him, the relationship that developed and the, and the, the couple that, that ultimately my hero ends up with this, you know, with the man of the right man for him. Um, and in fact, I'm writing the fourth book now and they've now been married for 12 years. So, you know, I'm having fun with that. And, and that was really, that was really touching to me, you know, that, that, that meant a lot to this, this young man, you know, that, to see representation in that way. And I, I think that's amazing. I think it's amazing he wrote you, but for every letter I think somebody receives, there are potentially hundreds, if not thousands of people that it's impacted that don't necessarily communicate that it's impacted. I yeah. think, like I read, uh, one of the first real fantasy novels I've ever read was Pierce Anthony's The Veil of the Vole. And I'm very lucky because I've talked to Pierce Anthony and he's willing to have me come out and be on the podcast, but he's like, I'm 81 years old. You're going to have to bring the sound equipment to me. He's adorable, but he's like, I can't figure out how to use Zoom. So don't ask. Come and do it. <laughs> yeah. He's like, come out. And I'm like, okay, I will wait until COVID is more over. Cause if I cannot be responsible for killing Pierce Anthony, like no, that is not okay. going to be a thing. Yeah. I would never live with that. But I remember like just the sheer, like almost acknowledgement in my mind about all the stories that played out in my imagination as a kid, like that it was there and there was this fantasy world. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is so amazing. And I think that the amount of impact that we have as writers for people, whatever the level it is, I think it's sometimes we don't see it because we're in our, our writer world. But then when we get to like step back and go, we, we change somebody. For the better because of our work and you, we were talking a little bit before about like it coming up recently today on twitter right your story correct yeah let's let's talk about twitter for a moment because i don't like i i i wrote it's funny is i'm a part of a um the word here now it's a, a volunteer you know a nonprofit, and we wrote a book called um the the day of the donald Right, and it was written before Donald become pre became president, and we thought, okay, this is funny. So I wrote a story called Donald Trump's Angry Toupee, and it was very Fight Club, and it was about how his toupee tries to kill him, right? And then at the last line of the story is, "I'm Donald Trump's despondent toupee because he fails to kill him in the presidency," and you know, I I remember waking up on election day literally thinking i was in the twilight zone the real twilight zone that this is that we were where we were at right so you had something come up on twitter today about that like all of us are like what the crap stick happened but talk about what happened on twitter today yeah marina sergis who is lovely um and is great to follow on twitter you know she had this angry she says she's a Star Trek fan, but obviously she's never watched Star Trek when she was like awake or not drunk um, because she was like, I love Star Trek and why are you making this so political? Star Trek isn't political. And everybody went, what? <laughs> Excuse me? Um, so then people were going, lady, hello. 
Um, and then there's this, um, he's, he's a commentator, he teaches at the War College, a man named Tom Nichols, who I follow because I'm a political junkie. And, you know, I'm watching MSNBC all the time and going, oh my God. Um, and he's on a lot. And, and, you know, we sort of acknowledge each other a little bit, but I, you know, I, apparently I don't have the, I, I learned what a blue check means today. This is how naive I am. I did not know what the blue check meant. Do you not have a blue check yet? No, I guess I need to go do that. <laughs> you need to go do, look at who you are. Go get your blue check. Okay, I'll go get my blue check. So immediately, seriously. I know everybody's been telling me this on Twitter. So Tom is doing his thing and he brings up Marina. He links to Marina's tweet and he talks about I use I've used several episodes of Star Trek, the original, you know, um, and, and he said in teaching at the war college. And then somebody brought up the high ground and said, you know, that was banned in Great Britain. And I couldn't resist. I don't normally do this because I'm, I, I, I'm not real good with self-promotion, but I sort of snuck in and I typed, I know, and I left it at that, you know. And then all of a sudden I started getting a whole lot more new followers, you know, going, oh. Um, and then this very nice young lady said, you need a blue check. <laughs> I went, oh, okay. Um, and I mentioned that in the measure of a man, I've been contacted by law schools, philosophy professors at various universities, and there's a professor of computer science and AI in particular at USC who uses measure of a man in his, every, that he shows that to his beginning AI class every semester. And he actually had me come and lecture a couple of times to his class. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you know, you just, it, it's, it's a little weird because, you know, we're writers. We sit in our caves and we do our thing. And then I go off and ride horses. And, and when the wider world suddenly comes washing over you, does it feel weird to you guys? I mean, it's like. I think it, I think it does, but I think like, like you said, that episode, I remember that episode. It's actually one of my favorite episodes. And I, uh, with Data, but we were talking a little bit about the original Star Trek, and you know, I'm a huge Galaxy Quest fan too. I always joke the Galaxy Quest is one of the best Star Trek movies ever made, right? Yeah, yeah, and you know, you look at that, and, and Star Trek at the time was this really cheesy show and people didn't quite get sci-fi and what it meant and what the impact but you looked at that show and it had an asian person and it had a russian person and it had a lead black female person on the show and like just the impact of this i don't think you know i i was saying that my kids i showed this to them and they were kind of like what you know and they didn't realize the impact that this show actually had because not only was it science fiction in this whole genre because there was a lot of true crime shows and detective shows and stuff like that on tv so barbara but there was not a show like this <laughs> yeah you, you know and a show that had this impact where it didn't care that it was breaking all of these boundaries that now we look at and go, what are you talking about? What do you mean a white guy kissed a black girl? And you're like, do you not understand what that meant at the time the show was on the air? Right. Right. Yeah. And, and it, that episode was, was not aired in a number of Southern states. 
yeah. 1966 or something. And, and yeah, people don't realize it wasn't that long ago. I mean, you know, people. It really wasn't. Not very long ago, you know, that, that men and women, black men and women could not go to the polls and cast a vote without risking death. And, you know, um, we've, we've come some distance, but we need to come further. And Star Trek was starting to push those, yeah, like you said, push those boundaries. And I think it really did it. I mean, it pushed a lot of boundaries. A lot of people were like, what's happening? But I think it was part of a greater movement that people don't realize. And even the next generation and some of these shows really pushed the, hi, you need to look at this differently. Like, I feel like science fiction almost goes, you need to take a step back and you need to look at this completely differently because we're saying this is a future thing but not really because it really is a present time issue that we need to confront. I actually heard lots of science fiction fantasy writers talk about how it's easier to put their, the like, I don't know, like the political stuff and like really hard heading stuff that you can't write in normal contemporary because it's just incites anger or a lot of like conflict but usually you know when you write it in science fiction and fantasy it's a great way to kind of ease people into thinking differently and i think that's what makes science fiction and fantasy my favorite genre is that it allows you to think outside of whatever the social norms are of that particular time that you're in you know absolutely i mean the the way i put it and i love what you're saying is that in, when we write science fiction or fantasy, we give people a safe place to explore things that make them uncomfortable. You know, you can l maybe look at your own racism, but it's in a little bit at arm's length because it's about aliens or it's about elves or it's, you know, it, and so it, it allows people to start exploring those things without being in their face about it, you know, without the, hey, you're a bigot, you know, and, mm -hmm. and it, it gives people an opportunity to step back and go, well, maybe I am a bigot, you know, I mean, you know, or, or maybe those feelings that I'm having. And, and that's why I love our genre. And, um, and I'm so glad we're not the ugly stepchild of, of publishing anymore. You know, but. No, I also say, you know, it's interesting about sci-fi fans. I talk about this. So I write horror and erotica under two different names, but those are my genres. And it's a completely different <laughs> fan base. <laughs> Um, but what drinks and explore your mind. <laughs> I say I write horror and horror, and I straddle both anyway. But um, um, sci-fi fans, though, what's really interesting to me about sci-fi fans, because I don't really, I mean, some of my horror stuff a little bit goes into like aliens and you know fantasy and stuff. But um, sci-fi fans are a completely interesting breed of fan to me because you. And not that all fans out there aren't educated, so again, ignore the hate mail, and I've been drinking, but um, sci-fi fans are some of the most educated, interesting people, and I also feel as a sci-fi writer, you have to be very careful because they will call you on your sci-fi shit. Like, if you're way off, they they will be like let me explain quantum physics to you and why you are wrong about your propulsion system of this particular starship and you're like cool this is a novel but okay let's do this 
I go. That's why I never get into the details. And if anybody asks me how the fold technology works in Imperials, I go, it's made of plot. It runs on plot. That's how my faster than light speed drive works. Yep. Totally. You have to, because if you try to get into, I always tell sci-fi writers, I'm like, if you are not an actual scientist, I'd be very careful about how scientific you're being, because they will figure out the math equations on what you're saying and say, that spaceship cannot tra travel that in 12 parsecs. And you're going, yeah, it's that, that's why I'm no, like, it's funny it's soft, it's like a soft magic system because it, I have to have the reader has to have some level of disbelief like a little bit of grounded in like actual fact but I'm definitely one that can't go super super concrete because everyone will call me out on my BS. Yeah for somebody's sure. gonna come and yell at you. I, I gotta tell you <laughs> so this is a pilot a, a television pilot based on my Carolingian books that we were supposed to shoot in June, except there was this pandemic. Um, so, oh. but uh, it's funny because the director got in touch with me because we were putting together the package, you know, a deck, a deck, a buy, I did the Bible, you know, a sizzle reel, blah, 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 blah. So he comes back to me and he said, look, I don't understand why guns don't work. You know, why when a magical creature appears or something from these alternate universe, why don't the guns work? Because that's a mechanical action. And I went, damn it, he's right. I have to address this. And I now know I have to go back and correct this in the novel when I republish it because I didn't address it in the book. But he pushed me on it. And so um, I sat with a friend and I said, okay, here's my problem. And we talked about, okay, what is gunpowder made up of? Oh, okay, it's sulfur, it's, you know, you know, this and that and the other thing. And so we started thinking about it. And I've said that magic warps our reality. So I went, okay, so if you take away an electron from sulfur, if you add one, it becomes, I think it becomes chlorine. If you take one away, it becomes phosphorus, other way around. But anyway, you know, if you remove an electron or add an electron, it changes. And so if reality is being warped at the quantum level, so I wrote this pseudoscience, blah, 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 sent it to the director and said, what do you think? And he went, I love it, <laughs> you know, because it's actually kind of real science. And it actually works better with the novel and with the screen, with the, hopefully the TV series. I love this and I can't wait for a fan to get in front of you and go, let me talk to you about the periodic table for a moment. <laughs> Explain to you how that, but I can go, yes, but you see there from an alternate dimension where reality doesn't operate the same as in our reality, blah, 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 blah. So they can make, electrons can bounce and be pushed out of this whatever the, like that, you know, some physicist will come and call me now, but, no, I mean, but it was so much fun to research and it was also being pushed, you know, and that's what I love about our fans going, well, why does that work? <laughs> and I love that you went, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to go figure out how that works. I'll be, I'm going to be right back. I'll call you back. I'll call you right back. Let me just. <laughs> Otherwise we have to lose that. And it, it, there's a thing in the, in the books and also in the screenplay where, you know, my hero's boss keeps going, so you missed again, you know, because the guns are really, how about you go back to the range? Because he's a police officer and maybe you bone up on that. And he's like, no, I hit them, but it didn't work, you know. Um, and our, the gun wouldn't work. And so, um, you know, that was, that was sort of the, the fun of it. But yeah, I loved being pushed. And, and that's what 
if it's not your director, it can be a fan who comes and leaves on you and goes fix it. Yeah, okay. Oh my God, I think that's brilliant. Okay, we have come to the end of our literary briefs episode. I absolutely insist on some point in time you coming back on the show, though, because you have been an absolute delight to talk to. I feel like I'm in fangirl mode right now because you have been just so amazing to talk to. Thank you. I would love to come back. Um, it'll it'll make me drink actually almost a half a glass of wine all by myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I drank an entire bottle of wine, so I, uh, that's okay. You're six feet tall. I'm five foot one. Okay. That, that's true. I, I probably, it's funny. I have a friend that's five four, and she's like, I'm going to keep up with you. And I'm like, I think that's unhealthy for you. I yeah. really, I'm also Irish, so I'm like, let's do this. Whiskey, we're good. Yeah, I'm five two, and if I try to do that, I would probably die. Like, yeah. <laughs> You and I will hang together. Vanessa. Yeah, you guys will be great, and I'll be like, can I have another? Can just, <laughs> I'll drink theirs too. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, and I would love to come back anytime. So. Absolutely, I will have you back. Thank you so much for being Thank on the podcast. So Thank you. I appreciate it. You guys have a good evening and stay safe. Uh, we absolutely will. This has been Drinking with Authors Literary Briefs. I've been your host, Erica Lance. And Vanessa Valiente. And we'll see you next time.